Hey, Ken. Hey, Job. How is it due? I need to... All right. Fourth of July is coming up. Big or, holiday. Or it already happened, depending on when this episode comes out. Hopefully it'll be like right around Fourth of July, actually. Probably right on. Maybe the day after. We'll see. Either way, holiday time. Blowing stuff up. You're blowing stuff up this weekend. Probably just like time my bubble. probably just like my bathroom, but like, you know, nothing else is too <laughs> serious. And like, yeah, there's a lot of discourse online about how you know, fireworks are bad actually. Which yeah, I get that. Whatever. And we know the environmental effects of setting off fireworks. But that's not that's not the thing that, that sent me into a frenzy this holiday season. Mm-hmm. We know fireworks are bad, actually. But one man, Business Insider, said that grilling is bad, actually. Now, I would love to read this man's article. I'm curious what his full opinion is. Sure. All I got from him is a tweet. Yeah. Right? Well, it's a Business Insider article, and you were telling me about this before uh, we were recording. I went to go look at it, and it says i got to spend a dollar to even look at it. So, uh, no thanks. I'm good. Right. I don't want to spend a dollar to get mad. Why would I pay money for clickbait? Like, if I want want to get mad, Valorant's a free video game. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I don't have to fucking spend a dollar, you know? Yeah. Twitter is free. I can get mad wherever I want. At any time right. on the internet. But here's, here's a tweet from the author. It says, quote, Your grill is filthy, has poor temperature control, and for some idiot reason has the heating element below the food so fat drips onto it and catches fire. Mm-hmm. There's a better way to cook, colon, in your kitchen. Now listen, man. One... It's, it's the fucking 4th of July. We're outside. Why the fuck am I going in the kitchen? For firsties. Right? Sure. Second. Second. The fuck do you mean? Of course, it's the, of course the heating elements below the food. Yeah. That's the whole point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's uh this whole thing is just kind of like reeks of like I I don't even think it's his real opinion. <laughs> and and if it is, it's 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 only being broadcast so that like you know this can happen, so that the engagement occurs because people are mad at the opinion. And you think Business Insider's uh, that desperate? Uh, at least for this. Or maybe Josh Sabaro over here. Josh Sabaro, yeah, of course he doesn't is, know is what that that tastes like. He, he's Sabaro, man. Ugh. Nasty. The 15th best option for pizza at any given moment. <laughs> Literally any moment. <laughs> I just, I don't know how you could have this opinion. Like, I mean, like, the, the only thing I would agree with is that, like, yeah, it is annoying to grill sometimes because it is messy. You got to clean the grill. You got to make sure you got the stuff that, like, you know, like you need the propane or whatever the hell kind of grill you got. You, you need to watch the food the whole time. 
You can't just rely on the oven cooks it. You have to watch your food. You have to make sure it go gets good. But like, I I don't know. I I really cannot be convinced that a burger made on my stove is better than one that's made on a grill. I really can't get behind that argument, sir. As somebody who moved from a house that had a deck and a grill to an apartment that has no grill, and I still make burgers, I will tell you that a grilled burger is significantly better than a pan-fried burger. Yeah. Significantly. I, I can't tell you the science as to why, but I think it's correct. It's the way it cooks. It's the flavor. Yeah. It's a different method of it's, cooking. It's, it's I, I, a yeah, superior it, one. It seems like it would be better because you're using a pan. It's just going to stew in its own juices and not be yeah. as good. Like, it'll still be fine. But, you know, there's a you reason a- why most restaurants... Or also have some kind of dedicated grilling device, <laughs> you know, not like a standard outdoors grill, but a way to cook that isn't a stove or a pan. This is a ridiculous take, and I, he needs to go back to Sabaro. I'm sure they have a grill there. At Sabaro? Yep. For, for what? I don't know. Did... It's a mall pizza. What are you talking about? <laughs> so they just probably have ovens. Yeah. It's trash mall pizza is what it is. You know, I'm talking shit about Sbarro, but I haven't had it in like 15 years, so... It's not good. I'm probably being rude to it for no reason. Listen, man, you walk into a mall food court, okay? Yeah. And there's that really interesting-looking Asian place that's like across from the Sbarro. And you walk over to the Sbarro something wrong with you <laughs> i mean like look there's only so many options at the mall i understand it's the mall you're not usually going to like a restaurant eight. honestly actually no that's not even true like usually most malls that i'm aware of have a food court well they also have restaurants just like attached to them like tumors often right you know like uh, our local one uh, well mine not yours anymore has a Buffalo Wild Wings attached to it like a tumor. Uh, and that's good because it connects right to the mall. You can go right in there. And that is not the best food in the world, but it is certainly better than most options at the mall food court. I'd have to say. No, definitely. Quick aside before we start the episode proper concerning malls. Uh-huh. So when I came to visit back at, uh, at at my hometown where you currently live, um, we went to the mall. Me, me and my brother. Um, we went to go pick up some Buffalo Wild Wings that's attached to the mall like a tumor, right? Okay, yes, yes, yes. And But we had like a little bit of wait time before our food was ready because they like just opened. Right. We were getting some wings and we were going to sit down and eat some wings, watch a Nintendo conference. Oh, hell yeah, right. So I was like, all right, let's go walk around the mall a little bit. And there's there's a place open up there, literally called Gamer Lounge. <laughs> Wait, really? Yeah, not kidding. It's just called Gamer Lounge. Oh, I haven't, big, big I haven't been text. there in a while. I haven't seen the Gamer Lounge. Oh shit. We had we had to go find the Gamer Lounge. Oh my god. What, what was what was it like? The Gamer Lounge. 
Um, all right, yeah, so it was, it was really dark in the room. It, it seemed pretty cozy, comfy. There's a lot of nice, like, seating everywhere, a lot of TVs, you know, consoles and stuff everywhere. Then the idea is you rent time, mm-hmm. sit down and play some games, right? Perfect place for a parent to dump off their kid and let some part-time oh, employees supervise their children. I see. It's it's like the uh, the things that used to be attached to giant eagles that had like an right. N64 in them in the 90s, and I always wanted to go right. in those. But my Oh, mom, you were never left in those? I think I was once, and I played Banjo-Tooie for like 10 minutes before like it was like, your time's up, and I'm like, how am I supposed to do anything in the video game? I, I mean, I was like very young, I, I believe, but um... Used to play at Smash Brothers with all the other kids there and Giant Eagle, and I'd fuck them up. <laughs> but, uh. Oh, man. Yeah, so give me those vibes, right? But then also, it's a used game store. Oh, uh, okay. And, and this is where the crime starts. Oh. Fucking. I walk over there, I'm just browsing. They've got a shit ass selection, right? Sure. And we turned around and walked out. And we looked over on the shelf, and they had a used copy of Destiny 1 for nineteen ninety nine. <laughs> Bro, those are like three for nineteen ninety nine at GameStop. What are you doing? You could literally buy it for a dollar. Yeah. Is it that cheap? You could literally buy it for a dollar. I would have just I would have just guessed like five bucks at this point. 20 bucks is insane. Had, That's crazy. They had, they had Destiny 2 on disc, which, by the way, is a free-to-play game now. Right. For twenty four ninety nine. Yeah, <laughs> that's... that's There should be a bigger difference there between those prices. And, like, it was, <laughs> that was a really nice gentleman there. You know, it's not his fault that whoever owns this place set the prices like a fucking moron. Right. So, Told him to have a good day. We walked the fuck out, and never again will I visit the gamer lounge. Yeah, I remember uh, my local Smash scene wanted to ask if they could use that place as a venue because it'd be like really good for Smash. And they were like, "We close at nine, and also you have you would have to pay." Mm. Like a lot. They just wanted to, like, basically set up so, like, we're ready in time. Yeah. Which, like... Yeah. That's kind of annoying. No, it's awful. Usually the way those things work is, like, you institute, like, a, a cover charge or whatever, and then, like, people pay that when they come in, and you give that to the owner, right? Yes. Um, or you have it as a free event, but then the draw is getting the people in the door of the business. And they wanted neither of those things. Yeah, that just seems like entirely bait for parents. Yeah, sure, you could drop your kid off, but you gotta pay us such and right. such. Pay yeah, us like 20 bucks for an hour, and then you could go shopping at Kohl's for about 10 minutes. Yeah, before your kid starts crying. And you have to well, go if the kid starts, again. the parents gone. Kids starts crying. Now the, now the nice part-time guy who probably is like, in college right now, has to fucking take care of somebody else's child. Yeah. Like, like parents used to often do when I used to work at GameStop. They just, they're shameless, man. <laughs> man, yeah. Anyway. Gone on long enough. <laughs> speaking of, speaking of, uh, of dead kids. 
Oh, right. Talk about <laughs> it. <laughs> well, we have to do the transition to the theme song. Look, I just want to grill for God's sake, all right? Anyway, do, do the theme no, song. No part. schmuck from Business Insider is ever going to tell me what the fuck to do, especially if you have to pay him a buck to see his shitty fucking article. Fuck you. It's a fucking Hank Hill villain in real life. <laughs> Jesus Christ. The villain of the week. Hank Hill had to teach him about the value of propane in an episode, I'm sure. <laughs> Do the transition. You okay? Oh, again, Jeff Shawskin. Are you okay, Sonor Card Gauge? What's going on? And I'm dying. Welcome to the show. <laughs> I'm a dying, Belinda. <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> Man, I don't know. L- literally, no one will get the Sonor listen, Card Gauge l- reference. Listen, I don't mix it up a little bit. You know, I can't do the same thing every week. I, yeah, you always do something different, but, like, really, it's always dumb. So, like, is it really different? Damn. I just got got. Ended his whole career, dude. Jeez. <laughs> Say we're going to talk about having a nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. <laughs> no, it's a nightmare. It's just a dream. Wait, actually, no. The, the theme song in this one is... Uh, also hilarious yeah, it is. and terrible yeah, really and i bad. loved it it's fucking docking we'll talk about that in a bit um i have a lot to say about this movie actually so i, I probably don't have a whole lot to say about any video games or things you got anything you want to talk about um just uh real quick this is a good take very long but a new smash character came out talk by him for a minute yeah dante i saw that oh Yeah, so, That's the rudest shit. The rudest shit of all time. The last time we recorded, there was a wow. there was a Smash presentation that showed off. Showed off Kazuya, who was you talked about last time, was announced. Yeah, they announced him at E3. Mm-hmm. Kazuya was coming, and then they did the uh, the follow up uh, Sakurai stream where uh, he explained the moves. This was a very long one because, much like uh, the series Kazuya comes from, uh, Kazuya has like seventy moves. Yeah. Tekken's crazy. Tekken's um, wild. And it's cool that they it's cool that they tra- they uh, were able to translate that into a Smash Brothers, which is not nearly as crazy uh, or as technical. But here it is. Like <laughs> Sakurai's a madman for even attempting to do this. You can still crouch dash, which is like not the same inputs as Tekken, but you can still do it, which is wild. There's fucking while rising attacks, which are called while standing in Tekken, which annoys the fuck out of me. Because I didn't know what the fuck they were talking about for the longest time. I yeah. thought I was just like, while standing? So you mean, like, just neutral? But no, it means ducking. And then while you're going from duck to your normal stand. Yeah, you have to time it. You have to, like, like but saying while standing is not the way to say that. It should be like, while rising from ducking. They even, like... Put, like I, there's a, there got to be a way, a better way to say that to, for a noob like me to understand. Like, come on. I was surprised. Wow, they, standing. Yeah, they even did like the DWGF thing. 
Metro Wing Godfist. Yeah. You know, well, the, you know, that's one of the wall rising moves. And like, they made the timing more forgiving, though. In Tekken 7, it's like a one frame window. Uh huh. Yeah, Tekken's difficult. They, um, they increased the. They, they made it a little more forgiving in Smash. My brief time playing it was very funny because I liked to play as Negan, and everyone seems to hate Negan who plays Tekken because he doesn't like belong. But that makes me really laugh. Uh, because then, like, if I can beat someone successfully online as Negan, it makes me feel real good inside, mm-hmm. because the person on the other end of the connection is real angry at me, because I'm not even playing as a real Tekken character. My, uh, uh, my, my good friend <laughs> and fighting game enthusiast, Pat, um, who's on YouTube channel and youtube.com slash one button warriors, they're, they're good, they're having a good time. They're playing a Yu-Gi-Oh game right now. Um, ah. I think they're playing Forbidden Memories, which is like a shit game. Yeah, I've, I've heard about that one. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he he also plays Negan in Tekken for like literally the same reason, because it's fucking weird. I mean, like I respect the fuck out of Tekken, but but Seven was my first like foray into this franchise, and I ended up like falling in love with a lot of the insane characters. Like I I, I never really realized how fucking off the wall insane Tekken is oh, yeah. in its in its general storyline and also in just the fact that like you could play as a bear and just kill people. It's fantastic. I'm a panda uh, made a in Tekken. Game. Nah. Panda's terrible, Justin. I, what are you doing? Play as Kuma. Dude, I listen, I don't choose this life. I just somehow pick a low tier every <laughs> single time I play a video game. <laughs> You do actually. It, yeah. is, it is not However that works. Not intentional, I swear. Yeah, you fucking D to D main. I don't even know how you do it. Uh, we try really hard. I understand the want because he has a big hammer and he looks stupid. So like D to D is fun, right? In that regard, that's literally why. I mean, I if I played it. Smash, I would probably be playing Banjo. I don't know where Banjo ranks. Oh, he sucks too. So. Oh, all there right. Well, there you go. I mean, it <laughs> happens. And Game and Watch. Game and Watch probably isn't that good either. No, Game and Watch is actually really good. Well, I'm, I got to get back into Smash. He's actually the best he's ever been in the franchise. But anyway, to get back on topic, they uh, they, he he announced the uh, the Me Fighter costumes, which uh, yeah. has has long before this been kind of associated with like character D confirmation more than anything else, right. because it'll be like here's the Me costume, it's Gino, mm-hmm. and then everybody goes, oh no, we wanted Gino to be a real character. So they did this a couple times in this one. Uh, they had, I forget the. Tales of Symphonia character. Yeah, Lloyd name. from Tales of Symphonia, which immediately right. broke my heart because I wanted him in there. Right, and then uh, Dragonborn, also known as Skyrim Man. Yeah. Uh, although they didn't say Skyrim in the presentation. And then Dante, well, they didn't say Devil May Cry in the presentation. They said Dante, and that's it. I don't know why that is. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've, I've had it explained to me, but I still don't understand it uh, because, like, apparently it's in relation to the like, like I don't know, and it makes me worried that because uh, I've wanted Doom Guy for a long time, but that they're not going to do Doom Guy because uh, it's an M-rated game, technically speaking. So if the game is rated M, they can't say it's an actual crossover with that game. Uh, if you remember when they did, uh, they did, uh, Altair from Assassin's Creed and they didn't call it Assassin's Creed. They called it like X Altair, Smash Brothers X Altair. And they did that again right here with, uh, Skyrim. It said Smash Brothers X Dragonborn and then Dante. It said Smash Brothers X Dante, not Devil May Cry. I think that's because those games are rated M, which is strange because... 
The snakes in the game from Metal Gear, which is all rated M, but fuck it. I don't know the rules anymore. Yeah, I don't get it. Oh, and Shantae. Shantae was the other one. And Shantae's me actually looks really good and like the character, but Dante's looks fucking terrible. So yeah. I understand the salt that Dante fans have right now. Yeah, Dante one looks awful. Shantae one also comes with the, with the song from the new game, which is very which, good. Which means it's like a, a... Yeah, like, they've been giving the indies some love with those Mii fighters. They had the Sans, the Cuphead, and the Shantae, and they all came with music tracks. Well, they have to pay... And they all look like the character, too. You gotta pay much less royalties for using a track from an indie game. Right, yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, that's, that's, probably the, that's probably the mentality on that one. Yeah, I don't know how much... You'd have to pay Capcom to use a Devil May Cry song. And right. Good luck with that. You know, I don't know. I don't know what to think about the last Smash character. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what I, the fuck. It's probably going to be a Nintendo character. They bookend all of these with Nintendo characters. I hope it isn't. I hope it isn't either, but, isn't. like, if history tells you anything, it's going to be. Which is unfortunate, but, like, it is but what it is, the, I guess. They just did Pyra and Mithra, which was, like, kind of a Nintendo character. I don't think Xeno Blade. <laughs> Saga, whatever. Yeah, Xenoblade games have been exclusive to Nintendo consoles, so... Yeah. So, and and this pack also had Min Min in it, which is Nintendo-owned, so, like, I, I hope that that's not the case. I hope that they use this last pick to have a genuine get-hype moment. There is still hope for Crash Bandicoot. I'd be pretty cool with Crash Bandicoot. Don't know um, if Activision should be willing to play something ball? something... I wanted something interesting that would represent the first-person shooter. And I know that that is incredibly difficult to adapt into a fighting game well. As, like, pretty much next to impossible. But all these DLC characters have been done extremely well. Like, Sakurai made Minecraft work in Smash. And it's pretty fucking cool that, like, he was able to actually figure that out. Like, I'm not personally a Minecraft fan, but, like, the level of care that went into each character is pretty great. He said this last one's going to take, is taking a while to make. So, he mentioned that at the end, that, like, the last character's not going to be revealed for a while because they're working on it. So, like, I I feel like this is going to be probably a harder character for them to develop. I don't think it's just going to be a joke character like Waluigi, because why would Waluigi take this long to develop? Right. We're probably not going to see this character until, like, towards the end of the year. Yeah, I like October. I hope it's somebody that surprises people and is really cool. Dude, do Master but Chief? I've been disappointed by Smash. Listen, before. Man, if if uh, I think Master Chief would probably be the best pick they could make because it would make people go nuts the most. Right. If, if, and as far as video game characters go, he's one of the all timers. So right, and like I don't know, fucking the. The Killer Instinct developers managed to make Arbiter work. Yeah. In, in fucking... There, there was a yeah. Spartan in a Soul Calibur or mm-hmm. something. There was. Right? Yeah. They could use an energy sword and then go from there. Yeah. Most of his weapons are not like standard bullet guns, so I think that Sakurai would be willing to work with adapting them into Smash better. Yeah, just make us like... I know that was, a concern of, of, that was a concern of his in adapting Snake back in the day. Yeah. 
I don't know if that's just gone because Joker just has a move that's called gun. But like, like well, you do, I mean, right? Who knows? You do some similar Master Chief, yeah. right? Where it's like neutral me or whatever, but just be like, I don't know, him pulling out an assault rifle and shooting it. Yeah. I mean, you got to have like the weird halo guns, like the needler and the plasma rifle and the fucking got to have some kind of mechanic for his energy shield. You know, there could be some cool shit with Master Chief. I would love to see it. And, and it would just be nice to get representation for a different franchise as well. That's more That's more what I want than anything else. Right. Same. Definitely. It would be super fascinating. And that's what it would be to have Crash Bandicoot in the game. Like, I would love to see a different genre represented. I want to hear that Halo theme in Smash. That'd be the craziest shit. Oh, I'd lose it. Yeah. that would. I, I would prefer that over Crash Bandicoot, even though I probably like Crash more as a character, but... What are you going to do? Even if you can't figure it out, that's when you make him a me. Just make him a me gunner yeah, skin with with, yeah. with a fucking Halo track. You can download. Put him in the put him in the next Smash game. You know, fuck it. Because yeah. this ain't going to be the last one. No matter like if Sakurai comes back or not. The last one for a very long time. I think so. I think so. Like, very long time. Sakurai's going to... After this last character, Sakurai's going to take... Probably a really long, much-deserved break. Indeed. Give the man a break. <laughs> and I, I, I'm fine with it. Like, one more character puts this game at an absurd amount of, of characters in it. Like, absolutely absurd. Yeah, it's like 80 or something. 85? I don't even remember what it's I think it's, it's, it's going to... I think it's at 84, 85 now. Wild. So, like... That's if you count, like, all, each me as a separate character. Yeah. Which is, like, fucking nuts. Fucking nuts. Mm-hmm. And they all have very distinct play styles. So, like... Yeah. Just give the man a break. Moving on from that... Kazuya himself... Was oh, he looks great. He I'm is, pretty excited about that. He is really It's making me want to play Tekken again, which is a game that I platted and deleted, even though I was far from actually done with it. But um, I want to get back into Tekken. Oh, yeah. Tekken's this fun. might be a cool, weird way to do it as well. Like, I, I do want to play Kazuya. He's like... In, in Smash, I mean. <laughs> best way I can explain him. The way he feels. He's like... Like, like the Ryu Ken and Terry archetype, right? If it was game. Oh, is he a Shoto? Wow. Oh, I see how oh, it is. Oh, god damn it. You're one of those people. <laughs> now nah, go ahead, Justin. What is that archetype fighter mixed with Ganondorf? That's that like, sounds right, because Tekken is a very slow and methodical fighting game. He is slow and like really heavy. Yeah. And you like that makes sense. spend a lot of time eating shit in games, but then you like hit them three times and then they die. Right. That's like, ah, oh, very good. Also, for some reason, the Kazuya level 9 NPC with the computer is, like, mm-hmm. fucking nuts. Like, oh, man, I can't wait to see that shit. There, I've seen videos online, like, all over the place of a level 9 Kazuya CPU just blowing them up and doing a ridiculous combo on them. That's cool. And That's then, cool. And then somebody took, like, entered a tournament and asked if he could just, like, enter a level 9 Kazuya CPU instead. 
and the guy just let him and then he like beat two people so that's fucking incredible <laughs> i love I, I you love to see it probably, that's good ai because it knows how to utilize all of his uh crazy ridiculous uh actually input intensive stuff right which is simplistic for smash but like you know well i mean i'm sorry it's complicated for smash but simplistic for other fighting games but like usually that's not like even a factor you just have a and b and tilt the stick in a one way you know so it's kind of cool to see that there's characters that reflect the series that they're from yeah, they really like Terry and like Kazuya and Ryu and Ken. It's really cool to see that shit. Yeah, it took it. Sakurai took it to a whole different level with Kazuya. All the fucking inputs he has. Yeah, it's nuts. Um, you could tell that that was like a labor of love, and it makes sense because it was Bandai Namco makes Smash too. Right. Yeah, this is their shit. Like. Yeah. They they work on both games so. Like very very nice. But he's really cool, and he's he's like really easy to get pissed off at him <laughs> because of how easily he blows you up. He reminds me more of uh, melee Ganondorf than Ultimate Ganondorf. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Where like he has like I know what you mean though. Yeah, he has like methods because Ultimate Ganondorf just kind of gets blown up, and like he's not as good at blowing people up. Well, his damage was ridiculous in melee. It was just right. the fact that he was so slow. I yeah. can I can literally like kill like foxes and falcos by hitting them two times in melee. But then like they'll come back, start one combo on me, and take an entire stock. So yeah, like wave dash, right? So and like that's somebody who plays Ganon in melee. Um, it just feels it just gets that feeling for me. Where it's like okay, right. I'm like I'm, accept the fact that you're going to get hit, play around it. And just find an opening. There you go. All right. Well, do you have anything else you want to talk about before we just talk about Nightmare Three? Because I kind of want to get into it. Because it's yeah, I'm 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 ready to get into it now. This is a fun one, dude. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Uh, yeah, honestly, that's kind of the most surprising thing. Is like, well, I knew because I've I've seen this one before a while ago, and I knew that this was a good one, but. You know, if you're if you're not aware, this is a good one. It's a very good one. And uh, like like honestly, like I mean, I haven't seen past this, but from what I've heard, look, <laughs> if you want to, if you if you gotta watch a Nightmare on Elm Street sequel, watch this one. You could probably not watch most of the others, and be fine. You know, right? This is the one to watch. Yeah. And also it, it kind of just it follows up on one more than it follows up on two. Like like two is a weird outlier now to me. Um, it's not really like know, a sequel at all. No, it's kind of just like out of continuity, weird movie that like it does reference the first movie because it's like they're living in the house that Nancy lived in. But like. Like I don't know, it just kind of leaves it up to marginally some. Like it, it just your has imagination. Like a what happened to Nancy? Like like it basically makes it think you think that Nancy's dead in two, but then she's in three. So it's you know, I don't know. But also, it's like one makes you think she's dead because it has that twist ending, right? So like, it's kind of cool to me that Wes Craven uh, got the chance to follow up on 
one without having to follow up on the twist ending. Like, it treats it like the ending of one was actually when uh, her mom dies, and then she banishes Freddy from her dreams by saying he's nothing. Right. Like, that's the actual ending, which was supposed to be the actual ending before they came up with the horror stinger with the car. So, I don't know. Probably a good idea. <laughs> like, it's, it's if you want to have any continuity, you're going to have to follow up on what just happened. And that's impossible with these kind of, like, crazy twist endings that these movies have. Right, so you just kind so, of start ignoring them, playing them off for fun in order to retain a continuity. Yeah, yeah. Like, in my mind, that scene is not a real thing that happened. That was like a that was like a non-Freddy nightmare she had, like, later on, maybe. That would make sense to me. But anyway. Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, was released in February of 1987. This is about uh, 15 months after the release of Nightmare 2, Freddy's Revenge. And and as we as we discussed uh, at length last week, uh, that sequel uh, was bad, really and, you bad. Know, but it but it was financially successful. Flopped critically though. So New Line is kind of in a weird crossroads where they're like they're not entirely sure whether they should continue the series because maybe it's more of a risk than they thought. <laughs> but thankfully, here comes Wes Craven. Uh, he wouldn't be directing this third film. He had a prior commitment to a 1986 movie that he directed called Deadly Friend, but he would help write the script. And he did so because his intent was to end the series on his own terms, you know, end the story of the characters that he created with the first one. And that didn't happen because 4 comes out in 1988, but... <laughs> that was his intention, you know. Oh, well, other people own it. Oops. Uh, so the director would instead be Chuck Russell. Uh, he was a rookie director at the time, but he was able to convince New Line that the way to take this franchise forward was with more of a focus on the dream sequences and special effects. And they, they you can tell that his pitch is what they made because... Bye. They went in on that stuff. Like, for example, uh, the dream sequences in the first movie uh, are very basic, but they're very extravagant in this one. There's lots of crazy shit going on, and everybody's dreams are, like, unique. Uh, that's probably the best part about this movie is how creative it is. Sorry, yeah, I actually, uh, I love how distinct everything is in this movie. It's so interesting, especially, like, when it goes through, like, each character's, like, dream sequences and stuff. Yeah. Like, how fucking off the wall some of that shit is. It's, like, literally yeah. them, like... Like, just expressing pure creativity when it comes to this kind of stuff. And it just makes the movie more entertaining as a whole. Right. So, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. 
Chuck Russell's the director. What, uh, can, you, can you give me a guess? It's a movie we joke about a lot. All right? Uh-huh. We've talked about this movie a couple times. We've joked about it a lot. He directed it later in his career. Can you give me a guess what that movie is? Is it AVP Requiem? No. <laughs> no. It's probably a better movie than AVP Requiem, I think. Airbutt. No, it's Scorpion King, Justin. He directed <laughs> Scorpion King. Ooh, almost dropped my microphone. Yeah, um, that's sick. What? <laughs> uh, more importantly, he directed uh, The Mask with Jim Carrey. That's probably his most famous movie. That oh, that's made. great. Uh, and he made uh, the 1988 remake of The Blob. He made Eraser with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, you know, he's got... he's uh, Unlike uh, some directors that we'll talk about in this series, he actually has... Gen- genuine hits under his belt. I think this is one of them, actually, because, like, this is a pretty solid movie. At least, especially for a sequel if, to a slasher film. Because, you know, as we've learned many times on this show, those can be oof. Man, if, if that retail promo you told me to watch shows me anything, it was this sold a lot of units, you know? Oh, man. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> well, we'll talk about that in a bit, because yeah. that was like the VHS release. So there's a couple early ideas I want to talk about for this movie that are kind of interesting, because they didn't uh, settle on one idea right away. Uh, Wes Craven, his first idea for this movie was to have Freddy Krueger invade the real world, and he would haunt the actors filming a Nightmare on Elm Street sequel. And if that idea sounds familiar, it's because he would eventually make this movie in New Nightmare. But at the time, New Line rejected it, uh, and then he wrote this instead. However, there was also a couple weird ideas that I want to talk about that I found interesting. Uh, John Saxon, who plays uh, Nancy's father in this movie and the original, he wrote a script. And that script was called How the Nightmare on Elm Street All Began, which uh, I hope was going to be a tentative title, because it's not a good title. Um, and I assume he he would have reprised his role as as uh, Donald Thompson in this movie, but um, it was going to be a prequel, and uh, like the script is fucking crazy. Uh, it would have revealed that Freddy Krueger was actually innocent the whole time. Uh, he didn't murder the kids. That he was in turn murdered for that crime by the parents. So. And, and the answer of who actually killed the kids was going to be the Manson family did it. Oh. And Kruger was just the fall guy. And then that leads to him becoming the vengeful spirit of Freddy Krueger and killing the kids, the parents who killed him. Although it sounds like he should be killing Charles Manson because, like, what the fuck? But <laughs> anyway, it's a crazy idea. Um, I don't like making it so that Freddy is innocent because it doesn't really matter if he did it or not, because he's not now anyway. But right. I think, like, obviously, I I kind of prefer what this movie kind of comes up with, which is that he was kind of just, like, destined to be evil. Yeah. Like, I think that works a little better, considering what, you know, he's, he's a murderer man, so, <laughs> like, I don't think it makes sense for him to, like, 
be framed for the murder of children and then turn into a children murderer after that. That just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Interesting idea, though. It's definitely Uh, weird. Yeah. yeah. And then Robert England himself, who plays Freddy, if you didn't know, lol, you probably should, uh, (laughs) wrote a script. His was called Freddy's Fun House. And uh, which is a great title that they should have <laughs> used at one point. Uh, and this saw the older sister of Tina, who was the first victim in the original film, returning from college to investigate the murders. And uh, Freddie would have uh, claimed the Elm Street house as his own personal dream world playground. And he would have had like uh, tricks and traps in there, kind of like how Nancy was trying to home alone trap him in the first movie. Uh, England said that elements of this were used in the uh, the pilot episode of the TV show that we'll talk about probably next week, I assume, because I think that's like the year it comes out is when 4 came out, uh, Freddy's Nightmares. Uh, but that episode also tells the origins of how he died and what everything that happened, so maybe there's elements of that Saxon script as well. I suppose we'll find out later. I'm actually going to watch that episode. I don't know if you want to, but um, I think it's on YouTube the first episode of Freddy's Nightmares. I've heard that none okay. of the other ones are worth watching. <laughs> really? Um, except for, like, maybe some of, like, the uh, in-between bits. Because that, that was a show that was, like, uh, Tales from the Crypt, where Fre- instead of the Crypt Keeper, it was Freddy Krueger telling you about, like, introducing the story to you. But then he wouldn't, like, really be in the episode, which I think is a letdown. But there were some episodes that were actually about him, and those are like the, generally regarded as the more worth your time episodes, I suppose. But the first one is just straight up his origin, and it's directed by Toby Hooper. And like, I kind of I gotta see that shit. I assume that's like somewhat interesting, at least. But anyway, this movie, Wes Craven wrote the script alongside screenwriter Bruce Wagner. Uh, film was subtitled Dream Warriors because it had multiple protagonists coming together to take on Freddy. Uh, Wes Craven stated, We decided that it could no longer be one person fighting him. It had to be a group because the souls of Freddy's victims have made Freddy stronger. And I think that was a good route to go. It feels like a natural progression from the first movie, and then you ignore that the second movie happened, and then you go to the third movie because <laughs> it's... um. You know, it's kind of just Nancy versus Freddy, the whole movie, the first one. But this one's like the whole group of kids at the uh, asylum or institute or what have you. Uh, Now, this version of the film that he originally wrote is a lot darker than what ended up in the movie. And this is because of Chuck Russell. He wanted to make it different. He wanted to take that was unique and his own. Uh, The quote from him is this. I looked at what Wes Craven did and said, this is absolutely great and terrifying, but I felt that by the time I came along on three, the way to go was to make the whole idea of dreams and nightmares into a carnival and go further into the dreams and make Freddy Krueger more outrageous and add more of an element of dark humor. That worked, and the series went in that direction from then on. And I, like, I mean, obviously, I don't know the quality of the movie's as we go forward, but like, yeah, this is the first one where like the the idea that like pop culture has of Freddy Krueger really shows up for the first time, where he's like 
a, a jokester. He's a meme man. Meme lord? You no. Know? He's, he's the meme lord of dreams. Uh, <laughs> uh, and that was basically Chuck Russell's idea to make him, you know, more of a sarcastic, funny killer. Which I, I think was a good idea, but we'll see later how it can get twisted into being stupid. Right. Like, I'm, I'm very curious to see, because I haven't, I have never went past this movie in this franchise, um, which might have been a good decision. I don't know. You could probably attest to this, because you've seen the rest of them, right? This is probably, like, besides, New Nightmare is probably about as good as this one is, in my opinion. And then, like... It's very different, though. If, right. It's a different kind of movie. This, yeah. The, the rest of these, like... It, it they The next one follows, like, a similar thing, but it's, like... Weird. Is it worse, probably? It's way <laughs> like, worse. Yeah. It's so it's much worse. Just, it's probably, you know, like a lot of these gotta be cash-ins, you know, because they're doing them every year. Uh, so, obviously, there's not a lot of time to, like, figure out what you're actually doing next. That's a problem that we saw with the Friday the 13th movies as well. It's just like they had, like, a kind of good idea, and then, like, they weren't able to execute it very well. Like, ah, he goes to Manhattan! For a minute, because that's all we can afford. Shit. So, I found this really interesting. Um, there are four writers credited. Wes Craven, um, the other guy, Bruce Wagner. <laughs> I, I didn't know anything else that he did. And then Chuck Russell is credited, because he did a rewrite of the script with none other than Frank Darabont. Oh and shit! If that name sounds familiar, that's because he is a legendary writer director. He did three of the best Stephen King film adaptations. He did Shawshank Redemption, The Green Mile, and The Mist, which are all pretty good. The Mist is the worst of those three, but it's yeah, still sure. it's still pretty good. Um, and obviously, like I mean, Shawshank Redemption is one of the best movies ever fucking made, in my opinion. Uh, it's excellent. Uh, Darabont hasn't done anything in a long time. I don't know. But anyway, this was like the first like credit he has in his career as a writer. Um, and Russell found Darabont through a spec script he had written for the television series MASH, which I never knew. And uh, the duo got together to work on the screenplay for the Blob remake that Russell would make after this. But when Russell got the job working on Nightmare on Elm Street 3, he invited Darabont to rework the script so he could incorporate some of those elements he wanted to bring to it that Wes Craven wasn't bringing to it, like the dark humor and whatnot. Uh, and they rewrote that script in just 10 days. And I don't know what got added to it and what didn't get added to it, but that ends up jumpstarting both of their careers, this movie, which is interesting. Um, <laughs> I don't know if uh, Darabont shies away from his association with this movie now uh, or, or not. I mean, he adapts Stephen King stuff. There's some dumb stuff in there. Let's be real. I, <laughs> but, um, oh, yeah. I, you know, I'm not sure, but I would have never thought that he was one of the writers on this thing because it's a very different kind of movie. Oh, yeah, I would have never guessed. <laughs> not a million years. Yeah. That's fucking cool, though. It is. So, let's actually just talk about the movie itself. Um, 
Uh oh, kids in the asylum. They're all yeah, little fucked up. Are you just gonna tell? Yeah, just go sitting, go go through it as quick s- as you sitting can. Sitting in their yeah. circles, talk about the trauma. Uh huh. Sort of. Most of them don't want to reveal their trauma at all. But haha, this movie's about bringing their trauma out through Freddy terrorizing them in their nightmares. Yep. So that he kind preys of, on their traumas. Yeah. That kind of starts up, and uh oh, girl from first movie here. Study yeah. kids. She realizes the same thing's happening to them as to her. Nobody believes them. Uh oh. Mm-hmm, this has course. happened before. Well, Uh-oh. yeah, nobody believes that the, that this is what's actually happening because, of course, they don't. Uh oh, kids start dying. Yeah. And like, oh, they just killed themselves because they're mentally ill. <laughs> and then they're like, no. Uh, Freggy. Freggy, do it. Freggy Krugum. Freggy, do it. And then uh, Freggy pulls girl's head into a TV. And then... That's, like, one of the best things I've ever seen in my life. No, that's, like... I'm just gonna tell you. I'm I'm breezing over it, but that's legitimately, like, my favorite kill in the franchise, I think. I I think it might be mine. I mean, there's another good candidate for it in this movie itself. The the one with the the heroin needle hand. I was about to get to that one, yeah. But apparently that one was gonna be fucking incredible, because what was supposed to happen with that one was, uh... if, If you don't know, I mean, we're just talking about the movie, but not in specifics yet, I guess, but... He he changes his uh, knife hands into needles, like syringes, yeah. and he says, "Let's get high," because he's preying on a former heroin addict. So, right. and he stabs her with all his syringe hands, and then she dies. And I think that's great because he has the terrible one-liner of "Let's get high." But what was supposed to happen is her head was gonna fucking explode when he did that. But they cut that because. Oh they couldn't God. figure out how to do it, but, like, that would have been fucking crazy. Like, <laughs> I don't know. This movie needed a good head explosion, all right? It's it didn't just, just shy one. from greatness, all right? <laughs> but then, eventually... But, yeah, Welcome to Primetime, bitch, is, is up there as, like, one of the best dumb slasher villain murders I've ever seen in a movie. Right. Eventually, they learned that they can get into Dreamy together, and... Inception. Yeah. Yeah, basically, Inception stole from this movie, and yeah, they Bravo, could go. Nolan. They could take the fight to Freddy because they have control over their own dreams. They can give themselves powers. Yeah, I love this aspect of the movie. You got like the D and D kid who like is like a wizard in his yeah. dreams, and like the uh, the uh, my favorite character Russell, who uh, <laughs> who um, oh not not Russell, uh, Roland, who is like really strong in the dream, and he's like fucking like you know. Where are you at, Kruger? You pussy. That's like the best shit. Yeah, I love that shit, dude. He's he's my favorite character in the movie. I think he's a lot of fun. He just doesn't give a fuck, dude. I I think like weirdly like this cast is like of characters is all pretty likable. They have good chemistry, right? Yeah, uh, they they all feel pretty genuine, and mm-hmm. and I guess I'll just transition into talking about the cast because like I mean. It's, you know, probably, diff- like, there's a lot of characters in this movie, and it's difficult to, like, give, like, not everybody gives the performance of a lifetime or anything, but, like, they do enough to make each character likable in their own way, which is nice, because they could have really missed the mark on that one, like a lot of slasher movies do, 
And a lot of slasher movies don't even attempt to make the characters likable because they're going to kill them off anyway, so they make them unlikable. But this movie is different because it genuinely makes them likable, and therefore their deaths are, like, a lot more tragic. Which I think kind of somewhat clashes with the way that the deaths are portrayed because, like, you know you don't, like, you're actually, like, sad that a character dies, but then they die because Freddy smashes, turns into a television and smashes their head into his television body and says, welcome to primetime, bitch. <laughs> Which is the dumbest thing in the world, but he's, like, <laughs> like, but, like, it's a weird juxtaposition of, uh, like, tone. And, like, it probably shouldn't work, but, like, it's a lot of fun. I can't really say that it was a bad time. It is strange, though. It's very atypical for me to actually uh, care about the characters in a movie like this. Yeah, it is. Like, usually, that's what we're used to with slasher movies. It's like, all these kids are fucking assholes. Yeah, I mean, we watched all those fucking Friday the 13th movies, and, like, I, I I don't know if I could name a single one I give a shit about. I can't really think of any. Right. Well, those movies, I think they kind of do it as a weird way to, like, make you feel less bad about them dying. That's what I'm saying, yeah. This movie doesn't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. There's, like, some genuinely good characters. They're just dying. Right. So let's talk about them. Uh, obviously, we have Robert England as Freddy. I don't. I feel like I don't even have to bring that up at this point. But nice. I'll... Whatever. He's there. Uh, he- Heather Langenkamp's back as Nancy reprising the role from the first film. Uh, besides England, Langenkamp, and John Saxon, who's also back playing uh, Nancy's dad, have appeared in the most of these movies with three each. Uh, I'm glad they actually had some continuity here, um, even though, uh, spoiler, she die at end of movie. But it works, and, like, I think it's fine. Yeah. It's tragic but like it's a it's a set to be a good send-off like to introduce this new set of well this was considering yeah considering well i guess so but cons- this was supposed to be like the end and and there's a bit that they kind of cut so that they probably could make keep making more where like you know the house at the end of the movie that has like a light go on and it's supposed to be like oh what if freddy's still alive right is the implication apparently that was written and intended to be different originally in the script it was going to be more like Nancy was a presence in Kristen's dreams protecting her from anything like like a Freddy Krueger like after death and that was what the light was supposed to signify but they took away any dialogue referencing that right and shot it in a way that made it look evil so that it actually mean uh oh but freddy back because they were planning on making a million sequels to this unlike what wes craven had planned which was this is the end of the story again well, of course studio <laughs> can't let that happen well yes of course um now let me talk about the aspect of Nancy's arc that I don't like. Um, <laughs> there's, there's, so we have Craig Wasson as Dr. Neil Gordon, mm-hmm. and there's a bit of a side plot here 
which is a romance between the two of them, and it feels really weird, awkward, and underdeveloped. Yeah, uh, it does. like it was like a half-ass idea that they kind of had, and it's like, well, she's not with Johnny Depp like in the first movie, so she'll just be with her boss, and and like it, it's that is the intent because they're having like dinner together and hanging out at like his house and shit. And he's a little touchy with her. Right. And she's receptive to it. She's not like, don't fucking touch me. So it's like, I guess they're dating, but it's never really went into. And I'm not saying they have to, but like, it's weird that it's even here at all. Uh, And apparently, like, they did film a kiss, but it was cut. And I really have to wonder if it's because these actors don't have chemistry at all. Because they don't. Um... Like it was, it was, it was her and Johnny Depp were a lot more believable because the acting was in general better from both of them in the first movie. Um, I'm not saying Langenkamp's a bad actress, but yet I, I mean, she's not the greatest and she's just kind of adequate in this movie. I like that there's a returning character though. It, It at least makes the story more engaging that way, but her role in this movie I wish was like done a little better just because like I I get that she's like a kind of psychiatrist or something now. Yeah. She's like a doc. Like a, yeah. It's kind of just like, you know, I don't know. I, she, we, we, we last saw her. How, like how many years have passed? Like, Couldn't have been that many, right? <laughs> I guess not, but, like, she's... There's no specifics in the movie. No, there isn't really. I, I feel like there could have been a little bit more expansion Jesus. to make her, like, you know... She, like, barely feels like the main character, even though I guess she is. The doctor guy feels more like the main character, and I don't... Appre- I don't... I don't... I don't... I'm not interested in him as much. No, I don't really don't give a fuck about him. Yeah. Really. Although he does fight a skeleton later, which is fun. But... Yeah, <laughs> I, I did like his, his uh, little adventure with John Saxon later in the movie. They fight Freddy's skeleton, which is s- silly. You know, it's silly. Junkyard. It's really silly, but it was fun. It's yeah. a fun scene, but I don't understand how, like... So is Freddy just like a ghost? Yeah, supposedly that's the idea, is that he's like a spiritual being. So he can possess his remains and fight right. them like it's like like he can become a fucking army of darkness skeleton and just fist fight them. I guess so. That's what the movie says. That's kind of fucking stupid, yo. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely prefer him only being effective in the dream world where he yeah. can do anything like like, you know, like the pool scene in the last movie was dumb as fuck because he shouldn't be allowed to just like manifest in reality and be able to murder a million people. Right. That's dumb, right? You mean if and, it, yeah. and it's dumb in this, this was case at least too. A, yeah, but this was at least a creative way to do that. Right, but it and was it was dumb. Like, but it was it was so dumb. It was very dumb. That yeah. it was funny, and I'm okay with it. Yeah, that's that's the good part of that. Breaches, like, it does what the a lot of these nightmare sequels are going to do, which is breach into the area the the area of ridiculousness that just forces it to be entertaining. Well, I'm all for some camp, but I, I don't know if that was intended. <laughs> it sure feels like camp. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, who else we got in this movie? Uh, Patricia Arquette in her first uh, film. Uh, 
you can see her in lots of stuff like Boyhood and The Medium. Uh, she plays Kristen. Oh, hello, dog. My dog's making noises. Sorry. I know. Okay. Uh, so this character is apparently in the fourth film. I haven't seen the fourth film. Yes, she but, is. Uh, but Patricia Arquette is not in the fourth film. Yeah. Which is weird. Um, so she turned down the role to focus on other things, and I guess they recast her. Maybe it was a good move. I guess we'll find out next week, or I'll find out next week. Well, you already know, I guess. Well, yeah, it doesn't really matter. You'll see why. Oh, okay. Oh, I know. I kind of have an idea what you mean then. <laughs> do they just do the? Do they just do the like? Uh, uh yep. The Friday the Thirteenth uh-huh. method, where it's just like it's a returning character, stab, stab, stab. Right. Oh. Basically, yeah. <laughs> it's that movie that that. The sequel Halloween to this. did that as well. Yeah. Halloween did that a lot. Yeah, the sequel to this just makes me mad. It's unfortunate, but it is what it is. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I fucking... That's like a trope that I hate, where it's like, time to make a sequel, and then everyone was dead from the previous film. Wow, we found Sigourney Weaver in a pod. There's a dead kid in there with her, and I'm just like, oh, God, way to fucking undermine the big climactic ending of Aliens, Alien 3, you piece of shit. <laughs> yup. Anyway, enough of that. Let's talk about uh, Roland, the back-talking, sarcastic, and I guess strong in his dreams teen, uh, played by Ken Sagos, if that's how you say his name. I hope it is. Um, so in an interview, Sagos stated that he didn't want to audition for this movie, but his agent convinced him he should. So he goes to the audition. He, uh, has to walk to a bus. It's pouring. It's pouring on the whole way to his audition. He shows up drenched and very irritated. And then he has to wait several hours because the auditions are running late. So he's really pissed. And then it's finally time for him to meet Chuck Russell and audition. And Chuck Russell says, ah, I don't know, just do whatever. And Ken Sagos is, like, super mad. And that sets him off. And he says, fuck you. And, like, rants at him for, like... A couple minutes and then Russell hires him because <laughs> because that <laughs> attitude uh, fit the character he was looking for so I'm glad that that went that way because because he's probably one of the best parts about this movie oh, for uh, sure. he I, I feel like they um, in horror movies there's often an attempt to put in like a very uh, you know like a character that doesn't take the killers shit and just yells at them and uh, sometimes that character is super bad and cringe, like in Freddy vs. Jason uh, with uh, what's-her-name that said the slurs. But um, in this movie, it's fun. I, I liked his attitude a lot. Uh, and he would also appear in the fourth movie. If he also dies, I'm going to be pissed, but he'll probably also die. Uh, who else do we got? Rodney well, Eastman as Joey, the mute kid who is horny for that nurse, which we'll talk about in a second. Because uh, <laughs> that's a... That's there's some interesting shit with that scene. He would reprise his role in the fourth movie. Uh, Jennifer Rubin as Taryn, who wants to be a punk and has struggled with heroin addiction. Uh, so I found this interesting. <laughs> she's in a movie the very next year called Bad Dreams. Like she's the star of that, and that's that's you know as you could maybe assume from the title, that is a Nightmare on Elm Street ripoff that got critically panned for being a Nightmare on Elm Street ripoff. <laughs> Good for her for um, getting the lead role in a ripoff of the movie she was just in. 
Yeah, it's weird. Uh, so I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent here. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne's in this fucking movie, which is crazy because uh, he's not a very big part of this movie. He plays like an orderly at the mental hospital. He's pretty good. I liked his character. But um, I wanted to bring up the fact that he uh, he's credited as Larry Fishburne which for his early film roles was common. Uh, that's what he's credited as in like Apocalypse Now and Pee-wee's Playhouse. Right. However, apparently, uh, while I was researching this, Wikipedia doesn't know that, that this is the same person. Uh, so if, if you look right now on the Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Wikipedia page under the cast list section, they will list both Lawrence Fishburne and Larry Fishburne separately, as if they're playing separate characters. And uh, confusingly, it also states that Larry Fishburne plays Max Daniels, and Lawrence Fishburne plays Max Bales. And that is extra confusing, because that character as credited is only credited as Max. Ooh, yeah, that's really so fucking weird. So I what? do not know where the last names are coming from, uh, IMDB, like I looked up other sources, of course, and IMDB just has him listed as Max. The end credits of the movie just has him listed as Max. Where, where, where are these last names coming from? Like, who edited this Wikipedia page? It could have been anyone, I suppose, because it's Wikipedia. But I was just super confused. Was <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne's twin, Larry Fishburne, also in the same movie playing Max? Obviously. Oh, yeah, obviously. Right. What the fuck? <laughs> Dude, I don't fucking know. That's what a confusing mess. Why? Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know. This is why you never just only use Wikipedia as a source. <laughs> like, you know. gotta look at other things. Uh, who else do we got? Bradley Gregg as Philip, who is the sleepwalker and the puppet maker. Um... We saw him in the opening sequence of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. He's fighting young Indy on that circus train. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. I, not in much else, but I just found that interesting because we've watched that for this show. We sure did. Good movie. <laughs> we also we also got... Uh, man, there's a lot of people in this movie. Two, a lot of dream warriors. Uh, <laughs> Ira Hyden as Will, the D&D-obsessed nerdy kid. Uh Penelope Sudrow is Jennifer, the aspiring actress who gets uh, who gets you know welcomed into prime time by Freddy. <laughs> um, that line was an ad lib, by the way. Oh hell yeah, dude! Uh, apparently, the line as written in the script was "Here comes your big break in TV," which is also funny. But like, I guess like on like a successive take, he said "Welcome to prime time, bitch." I, I think the stereotype of uh sorry my dog is bitching for no reason. I think the stereotype Popo. of Freddy just says bitch entirely just came from Robert England. Probably. I, I don't know because it seems like he leans into saying bitch a lot. He probably like um, had it so he said like once in the script or whatever, and then he got such a kick out of it that he just kept doing it. I mean, it is really funny. Right. So I can't. I can't really blame him. Uh. Oh, this is a weird character we can talk about. Nan Martin as Sister Mary Helena, a.k.a. the ghost of Amanda Kruger. Uh, she periodically shows up in this movie to say vague things to Dr. Man. Um, 
and it is later revealed at the end of the movie that she was Freddy's mom, who she relates a story to him about the origins of Freddy Krueger, where there was a nun who got locked in the in, in this insane asylum with mm-hmm. like, however, like a ridiculous amount of insane inmates, and they like all raped her a bunch. Uh, and then she was pregnant, and then she gave birth to Freddy Krueger. So like. Like, the line that they say is, like, Freddy Krueger, the bastard child of a, a hundred maniacs or something like that. Yeah. Which is a very grisly, very fucked up uh, origin for this man, which I think works. Because it, it's it's awful, but, like... <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's, for, it's for an awful person, so I, I, mean, I guess... Yeah, it's for a horrible serial killer man who says bitch a lot. Uh, <laughs> like... <laughs> Welcome to prime time, bitch. Yeah. Welcome, welcome to Marks, bitch. Hope you find the produce <laughs> you like. He works at Marks. Welcome to Menards, bitch. You need a new microwave? <laughs> Save good money at Menards, bitch. Yeah, that'd be good. I I don't know. I want okay. that movie. I want the, like the Chad Vader movie, but like it's Freddy Krueger. Like, Welcome to GameStop, bitch. I'll give you half a penny for that copy of Madden 2011 you got. <laughs> Do you want to pre-order FIFA 2021, bitch? This is a good concept. I think this would be... Wait, wait Rick and Morty basically did this, I think. Yeah, anyway, um, Priscilla Pointer is Dr. Elizabeth, who I guess the movie wants us to feel is like being a huge bitch. But uh, it's kind of like a similar like conundrum as like... I don't know, uh, Walter Peck in Ghostbusters. Do you know what right. I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's like, you know, the character is uh, looked upon unfavorably by our protagonists and as, like, a huge pain in their ass. But the character is acting somewhat rationally and normally because they're not aware of the insane shit going on. Right, it's hard. Uh, You're not going to have that expectation that it it's going to be something supernatural happening you're if you're a right. doctor you're going to do the doctor approach and act like a doctor and use like research and rationality yes uh i thought i recognized her from something but apparently i did not because i looked up her stuff and i was like nope and that happens a couple times <laughs> like i don't know i don't know what it is oh okay we gotta talk about this so um dick Cavett and Joie Joie Gabor uh, play themselves in this movie on TV. As, okay. Uh, Jennifer drifts off to sleep and then sees an interview happening between the two of them, and then Freddy shows up in the interview and kills Joie Joie Gabor. Uh, <laughs> and then that's when the TV transforms into Freddy and the welcome to primetime bitch scene happens. So, two things about this. First off, according to Robert England, this is a quote from him. Quote, Miss Gabor, who was probably just grateful to be act, asked to appear in a movie again, apparently didn't read the script. 
or bother to do any research on the nightmare flicks. I guess her agent told her, I have a job for you, and all she says was, Great, what time should I show up, darling? He, like, makes fun of her accent. Yeah. Uh, Not realizing that she was about to throw down with a burnt-to-a-crisp serial killer. During the fake talk show where she's interviewed by Dick Cavett, all her reactions seen on film were 100% genuine. She didn't know who the fuck Freddy was, so when I jumped out, she had a mild freak out. That's great. What the <laughs> fuck? Now, now this part is a. Uh, I I don't know. I can't corroborate this because it's an IMDb fact. So. Grain of salt. Yeah. Origin. Now I know this part is true. Originally, it was going to be Cavett uh, interviewing Sally Kellerman, but they had let Dick Cavett choose his guest that he would be interviewing, and he chose Joshua Gabor. And the IMDb fact is is that apparently this is not because he liked her, but because he thought she was the dumbest person he had ever met, and he wanted to see her get killed by Freddy Krueger. Ah! Huh. <laughs> Which is, like, really rude. Uh... <laughs> well, she didn't bother to read, to, to read up on the project she was doing, so also probably a little lazy. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know much about either of these people. I just found that pretty morbidly funny. <laughs> yeah, that's a weird fantasy you're living out there, buddy. You might want to go get yourself checked out. Speaking of we- living out a weird fantasy, um, let's talk about <sighs> Stacy Alden as Nurse Marcy. Yeah. Now, this scene. Uh, what's the, what's the kid's name? The mute one. I forget a lot of these uh, kids' names, unfortunately. Joey. Joey's Joey, that's right. One. It's Joey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So She's like, throughout Joey. This movie, throughout this movie, he's kind of like uh, giving the side eye to this nurse. And, you know, he's just like a young kid. It's just whatever. He thinks the nurse is hot. He's a horny but teenager, then, whatever. Sure. But then this scene happens, and it's uh, strange. <laughs> um She's like, Joey, I see you looking at me, and I want you. And and, and she, like, lays him down on a bed, and she gets topless and shit. Yeah. Uh, And then she turns... It's Freddy, actually. He's dreaming. And and she, like, vomits out tongues that wrap him up. And then she just turns entirely into Freddy. So here's the crazy thing. Uh, apparently producers spent more time casting this role than any other. And that does sound overly horny and very Hollywood of them. But (laughs) apparently it was partially because they wanted someone who was actually going to play a female version of Freddy Krueger originally, not just morphing into Robert England like the scene in the movie, but they were actually going to put the Freddy makeup on her. Oh, okay. And uh, they made the prosthetics and everything. But the effect when seen on set was uh, uh, too much, and they decided not to go with it because it was probably really stupid and weird. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure some weirdos out there would have been into Freddy Krueger with big titties, but... um. I'm I'm personally glad they didn't go down this route because <laughs> uh, it sounds like the dumbest thing they could have possibly did. 
like Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So what else can we talk about here? Oh, uh, so the special effects team from two, uh, a lot of them returned. Kevin Yeager, Mark Showstrom, as we previously discussed in our Evil Dead Two episode, Showstrom was working on that movie at the same time as he was working on this movie, and he smuggled a Freddy Krueger glove onto the Evil Dead 2 set uh, to be featured in the tool shed when Ash goes to get the chainsaw. Now, he there, there's been some discussion about this glove uh, showing up in another movie because a glove was stolen from the set, and a lot of people were kind of accusatory about it and said that it was this glove and it got lost in the shuffle between getting sent over to the Evil Dead 2 set. But apparently that's not what happened. Apparently some fans pretended to be crew members and snuck onto the set and stole a Freddy glove. Oh. And eventually this glove reappeared at like an auction or something. Like, you know, like who knows what happened. But like it's been accounted for now. But like there are very few of them in existence. Probably pretty hard uh, to make by the looks of it. Yeah, and also, like, you know, they would reuse them from movie to movie, so it's not like they made a bunch more for each movie. So, you know, and Robert England has a bunch of them, I assume. So, like, uh, there was it was kind of like a hunt for this missing one for a while. Right. Um, the score in this movie is okay. I like it. It's fine. Uh, it was composed by Angelo Badalamenti, who is best known for his work with David Lynch. He did the soundtracks for all of Twin Peaks, Blue Velvet, Mulholland Drive, uh, and very well regarded for all that stuff. Man, uh, Twin Peaks fucking soundtrack slaps. I just rewatched Twin Peaks recently. Oh, hell yeah. I still need to watch Twin dude, Peaks. It's so fucking good, dude. It's so good. It looks weird. Haha. It gets. It Who gets the series progressively goes from, well, this is a weird place with some weird characters to complete absurdity. Mm-hmm. It sounds fun. I love it. You've seen the whole thing with, like, the Showtime, uh, the, the Return I haven't. I haven't seen Return yet. That's why I was re-watching the original series. I want to have, like, I want to oh, like, get okay. refreshed. Because it's been, like, good almost ten years since I've watched Twin Peaks. So I wanted to rewatch it. And, right. Um, <clears throat> So I want to rewatch it before I watch Return. So I, I still have to watch the movie Firewalk with me. So I'm gonna watch that, and then I'm gonna watch the Return. Okay. Yeah, I gotta watch those at some point for sure. Um, I haven't seen that much David Lynch. I've seen oh, like dude. a couple things, like uh, a couple short films. Um, Fascinating. A lot, man. a lot of Eraserhead, but not all of it. Um, yeah, he is a weird dude. I love him. Uh, <laughs> So, I don't know. What's your like favorite bits from this movie? Is it the TV thing? Yeah, we, we talk about the TV thing being being yeah. our great bits. I actually the entire section when they go into the into the same dream to fight Freddy is also like really fun. There's a lot happening. Yeah. Um, I like how they cut back and forth, like the the unique like little segments with each kid. Mm-hmm. Um, the D and D kid like becomes like a wizard and fights him. And, Freddy says something dumb and then just kills him. He's like, I don't like fantasy, kid, or something like that. Like, I don't yeah. know. And then, like, <laughs> I, I love how the... I love also how, like, the three kids, like, play D&D together at night. I think it was, like, really fun. 
Yeah, they have a lot of good humanizing moments between all of them. You know, it's it's it makes their like I was saying earlier, it makes their deaths more effective because it's like, oh shit. Yeah, like 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 yeah, it's you know a way to spend to do something together, spend time together when all you have is your imagination. Yeah, that's like you know like the 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 wizard kid is the DM and the, the. Strong kid, and then the the punk girl. Yeah, also playing I liked D&D, her outfit. Fun. It was really funny. The big giant hair, dude. Hell wild. Yeah. <laughs> even even more minor characters like the sleepwalking kid had like something set up about them. Like they didn't have to introduce the fact that he was like making puppets, and they and they had that like weird stop motion Freddy puppet when the dream starts happening. That was fun, but yeah. um, you know like. That works because it leads into Freddy like puppeteering him around the hospital by his like fucking veins. That was fucking crazy. That was fucked I liked, up. I like that scene. Yeah. That just straight off the straight off the roof he goes. Yeah. Bye. And then that's why they think it's a suicide because to them it just appears like he jumps off the roof. That's a pretty good scene. That's up there. Um. I, I personally think that like John Saxon is really really good in this movie. He's not in it for much, but his performance as drunk retired cop dad is really good in this movie. Yeah. Um it, like you can feel like the haggardness and like there's like little subtle things like his his uniform like he was like the sheriff or whatever in the first yeah. movie, right? His right. uniform just says something like security on it, so he's like not the sheriff anymore. Yeah, like, he took maybe, like, a like, security his... job somewhere. Yeah, and you just get the implication that, like, you know, maybe his alcoholism caused him to, you know, get fired, or, like, who knows? Like, you can fill in the blanks yourself. That's, like, a little, like, bit of subtle storytelling that I really mm-hmm. like. Being a subtle storytelling, this entire movie is literally about, like, fighting your trauma, which is right. uh, really, actually, yeah. really, really fascinating little story. Like, it uses a, a ridiculous tour background to do it, but, like, those intricacies are still there. Yeah, it makes it feel, like, a lot more, like, like it matters in, right. in the face of it all. Uh, Freddy's just kind of a manifestation of, like, you know... Of their fears. These kids trying to, yeah, get over, like, you know... Because he literally becomes the physical embodiment in their dreams of of, like, whatever is wrong with them. Like... Like, right. he attacks, like, uh, the D&D kid is in a wheelchair, and he, like, literally attacks him with a chair. And then, you know, the the heroin addict, he, he attacks her with heroin and, like, you know, all these things. Like, he uses their hang-ups and ailments and w- what's, like, you know, I, I, I would, you know, w- why they're in the mental institution, I suppose, to fuck with them. And that can be seen all metaphorically. And that's kind of cool, right? Yeah, it's really interesting. I liked it a lot. It's it's uh, it adds another layer to the movie. It gives it meaning, um, which is it's great. It's, it's something that you don't see a lot from these slasher films. There's usually not some kind of deeper meaning involved. It's literally just oh, these kids are dying, haha, <laughs> big rip. Right. Yeah. So that's you know, what makes this movie stand out. I think. Right. You know, I haven't watched it yet, but uh. I was thinking about it while I was watching this a little bit. Uh, the fucking X-Men movie that took forever to come out, New Mutants, uh, just, just it just looks like this movie. 
but with X-Men. It, it definitely, that's what it felt and, like to me, too. And I looked it up, and apparently that was that guy's inspiration. Uh, oh, okay. Was to make Dream Warriors X-Men, <laughs> New Mutants or whatever. Uh, so I haven't heard anything good about New Mutants, but I might give it a chance based on this new information <laughs> to right, me. just to see. Because uh, I'm curious. Um, you want to talk about docking? <laughs> Sorry, did you say docking? N- uh, yeah. <laughs> is that the pun of their name? Maybe. Like, is their name supposed to be a pun for docking? I- I'm not sure. Probably. It's like, how badass, let me tell you. <laughs> so, yeah, the- this movie has a theme song. It's Dream Warriors by Dawkin. It's glam metal. It's 80s as fuck. It is the it's- most 80s It thing. is so cheesy. It is so terrible it rules uh, <laughs> it is like, true like, 80s cringe in uh, all no, of it's like, fashion I genuinely feel that it's so fucking bad and cheesy that it goes all the way back around into being actually good because uh, it's really funny like I enjoy it completely oh it's hilarious um, yeah um, we're the dream warriors it's, it's so bad uh, it's not nearly as bad as the ending song from the first movie, but um, it's still bad. And apparently, you know, like this song is a hit. It got significant airplay on MTV. That was enough to, to convince New Line, I guess, that these nightmare movies from now on should all have a metal song attached to them. So I'm, I'm very curious to see what terrible songs we get subjected to in the sequels. I'm very excited. <laughs> Well, the good old um, 80s and 90s trend of every song having to have a... Every movie having to have a song attached to it with a music video. Yeah, lots oh, of the, the trend. Uh, slasher movies. Um, Never forget Kiss Rose video. Oh, my God. That's, Never that's a forget. one. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, we talked about that when we talked about Batman Forever. But mm-hmm. That music video is hilarious because it has that scene where... It, like, like, it has the weird unintended effect because it's alternating between footage of Seal serenading and Val Kilmer Batman, that he is serenading Val Kilmer Batman. That's the really funny implication of that music video. <laughs> um, uh, so, so this music video, <coughs> if, if, you've, if you haven't watched it, is pretty hilarious as well. Um, it's, it's pretty standard. It's just kind of like, you know, it has scenes from the movie intercut with Dawkin playing the song. Uh, but it has a really funny element at the end uh, because, like, Freddy Krueger shows up and he is, like, I guess defeated by Dokken because they're playing the song. I um, guess? I guess because, like, they're playing the song at him and Freddy, like, uh, holds his hands on his ears and goes like, ah, you know. So the song seems to defeat him or, or maybe Freddy hates the song and doesn't want to hear it. Either way... They cut to Freddy Krueger waking up from a nightmare. And he says, who were those guys? And then the music video ends. And it is so stupid. (laughs) It's incredible. Jesus Uh, Christ. Man, I miss this era. We need to go back to the era where every, every movie had a bad song attached to it. That had a music video with, like, the actors from the movie in it. 
Hell yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Although it's probably less fun now because you get like a bad like you know. I guess this still happens to a degree. You get like you know, Pitbull covers Africa to put in Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> like it's 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 pretty bad still. Oh yeah, we need to talk about um that distribution tape. Oh my god! Yeah, so let's let's so, talk about the let's talk about the money making. I guess you should interlace uh, this. So let me let me explain what this even is because I, it's it's certainly not something that happens now as much. So in the VHS era, the video store era, it was pretty common for movie distributors to make and send a promo tape to stores to to be watched by the people that own the store or the employees or whatever. And it's essentially a pitch, like to pitch the money-making potential of their upcoming releases. Uh, One of these was made to promote the VHS release of Nightmare on Elm Street 3, and it actually features Robert England in character as Freddy Krueger, as he explains and and sometimes threatens uh, uh, (laughs) uh, about the, the marketing potential of the film. And uh, you can find this on YouTube. I will definitely send it out there on the Gen and Jub Twitter if you want to check a look at this, because uh, I highly recommend it. It's hysterical. It's it's like fucking Freddy Krueger pointing at like charts, <laughs> and it's like you know this yeah, movie like, made millions, bitch. It's like it's so good. <laughs> and he's like, like partly like it cuts to him, and there's like two fucking calendars sitting there, and he's like. Listen up, bitch. This is how the dates work. Distribution <laughs> yeah, the dates on date. the fifth. Yeah, the order dates on the February seventeenth, bitch. It's <laughs> it's it's such a weird way to deliver this information. Um, I th- I think my favorite bit of it is it cuts away uh, to show like a bit of like the uh, the news hubbub about the movie when it was coming out, and one of those clips is um. Robert England going on the Joan Rivers show. Um, and in the middle of him talking, uh, a little circle appears on the screen with Freddy Krueger in it. And he like starts bitching about Robert England and how Robert England takes all the credit for his genius. Like Freddy Krueger's genius. <laughs> That's great. It's like they did not have to go this in and make like a, a sketch essentially to, to for this like it's it's very bizarre because because no one was meant to see this yeah, like, i just want to have some fun with it I don't the know. people who like the people who would get the most out of this are people like you and me who you know are wanting to watch all of these movies and have fun with the character of freddy krueger the people that don't care are you know the manager of the video update <laughs> that that got sent this right. in 1988 to watch. Like it's so weird to me that they did it this way. But uh, I'm so glad it exists. It is absolutely hysterical. Watch it if you can. Yeah, I wholeheartedly recommend it. It's a good piece of dumb media. Yeah. Um. There's another one. If uh, I don't know if I talked about it in a previous episode. But uh, there's a very similar one uh, <laughs> for Terminator 2. Oh, we talked about that in our Terminator 2 episode. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't remember if we did. Oh yeah, we but, did. Um, we talked about that shit. We knew about that shit before we watched Terminator Two. Yeah, it's um, it's uh, Robert Robert Patrick as the. Mm-hmm. He's basically playing the T one thousand. Right. The T one thousand is for some reason really obsessed with telling you that Terminator Two broke box office records and it's a huge movie and you need yeah. to order a million copies of it for your video store. Right, motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> um. That that's a very hysterical video. Check that out as well. I'm gonna start seeing if there's other weird ones. Like like, what do you do if your movie was like a huge piece of shit and didn't do well at the box office? Like, how do you advertise its marketing potential to your distributor? Like, like like, what do you do? I don't like know, if your man. movie, like if your movie was a flop, like like you know, you just get you just get somebody on there going like, please buy movie, please. Yeah, and please. just like like you know, Kevin Costner comes out and he's like, I know nobody went to go see Waterworld, but please, <laughs> I'm begging you, we're starving out here. It's like <laughs> like what? It's so we're well, famous, but we're definitely not parched. Right? Yeah. So, moving on from that. Uh-huh. I'm really well, do, do you want to talk about like box office stats or anything like that before we move to the I do. Rankarinos. Um it was it was a moderate critical success. You know, it's got like a 72 on Rotten Tomatoes, which which means it's one of only 3 of these movies that has a positive rating on that website. Uh so Is it look the original forward to the future? Is it the original it's, three in New it, Nightmare? Yep, it's it's yeah. the ones that have Wes Craven's name attached to them. Wow, who would have the positive rating? <laughs> um, I, I wanted to briefly highlight, as I often do, uh, what Roger Ebert thought of this movie. He he, uh, he gave it one and a half stars. He said he liked the production value, but felt no sympathy for any of the characters, which is an opinion that I emphatically disagree with. You missed the you missed the ball this time, Ebert. Yeah, I notice. I deeply respect Roger Ebert as a critic. Okay, his his horror but opinions are very bad. I, yeah. I he he misses the mark so often of subtext. Mm-hmm. He is really bad at reading subtext. Like, in fact, he's god awful at it. And you notice that a lot in his reviews. <laughs> He is really yeah. good at reading the competency of a movie. He is really bad at reading anything else. Right. He's he's a weird enigma of a man because like I I love reading his reviews sometimes. Like I used to own a copy of um. Well, he's a truly uh, gifted writer. This your movie sucks. I think yeah. it was, which was his 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 collection of reviews for bad movies and right and and uh, those are really well written and fun most of the time. But like he's, usually he's going in on a movie that like I also hate like um. Uh, like uh, Deuce Bigelow or something like that, you know, right. like you, that deserves to get killed by Roger Ebert. But um, you know, this I just can't agree with, and it is what it is. You know, the, the, he has preferences. You know, we I think we talked about during our Friday the Thirteenth uh, series that how much him and in Siskel. Uh, hated and ab- abhorred the Friday the 13th movies and said that right. they were like, you know, an abomination and they should be boycotted and all this stuff. And it's just like, you know, it's just funny to look at now and how people thought these things were so terrible when, like, you watch them now and they're, you know, they're not very gory. They're not very upsetting. 
they're, you know, fun more than anything else. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. But yeah, that's, I don't know. I, I, I do thoroughly enjoy Ebert as a writer, but sometimes he just misses the mark. It happens. Yeah. I mean, he gave G. Lee a thumbs up. Never forget. Anyway. So do uh, I. To be fair. <laughs> not for the reason he gave it a thumbs no, up. No, not, not even um, close. So this, this movie was very successful financially. I'm sure Freddy Krueger will tell you all about it if you go watch that video. Oh, yeah, um, dude. It grossed $44.8 million against its $4.6 million budget. So New Line, they see dollar signs in their eyes. They're once again just immediately starting production on yet another sequel. And they also have multiple other ventures to expand this franchise to ridiculous degrees. Video games, the television series Freddy's Nightmares, uh... Uh, a hotline. You call Freddy Krueger, and he'll tell you a he'll tell you a spooky story. They did yep, that. that was a thing. You know, it's really funny to me the the marketing for these things. Like, I bet there was a Freddy Krueger lunchbox. I bet you know. Oh, it was everything. Anything you it's could. Weird to, it's weird to think how much they marketed this character, who in his in the movies that he appears in is an unapologetic murderer of children. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. That's our Freddy. Like, it's like, it's... Oh, man. And at one point, Nintendo lets him wear a power glove. We'll get to that later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Nintendo would never do now. No, I don't I don't think so. That is a product of its time, for sure. Yeah, um, I can't wait to get to that scene. <laughs> I think that's not until, like, the last one. That's or, Yeah, it's the Freddy's Dead, I think. Before the, the remakes and reboots and things. Right. Yeah, they get this literally in Freddy's Dead. We'll get to that later. Yeah. Nintendo killed him for using a power glove without authorization from Nintendo. <laughs> so, I think we know, but that being said, mm-hmm. where do you rank it? You know, it's it's interesting. I, I, I'm... I'm thinking about number one. Really? You think you like it more than the first one? I think there's elements of it I like more than the first one, but, you know, because I think both of the movies are not perfect, but I don't know. You know what? I, I think I give the uh, I give it to the first one just because the concept is really original in that one. Right. Yeah. But I think this one does this one takes the concept of showing someone's dreams to the next level, which is something that like the first one was pretty tame about all things considered. Well, it's a true sequel, right? Yeah, I think it it does well. Like it's it's to a much less like you know I wouldn't give it a ten out of ten or anything, but like it's it, I feel about it in a similar way as I would feel about a sequel like Aliens, right? In comparison to the first movie, you know, like it takes the concept of the first one and blows it up to a degree. You know, right. it's, it's like it's a, a recipe it's like for a, successful sequel. It's like a Terminator two in that regard, you know. Yeah, I think um, it. I think it actually does. Funny enough, obviously it's not the same quality of film. I think it does fall under those echelons, yeah. right? Yeah, it's it's a good sequel that like in many ways matches the original in terms of quality, but it like feels like a bigger movie. Right. Yeah, I I I, I put it number two myself as well. I think that's probably where it'll stay because, like, yeah. you know, there's no way. I mean, I, we'll see what I think of New Nightmare because I might really like New Nightmare because I appreciate uh, meta 
<laughs> I, I appreciate that horror. movie. Like, one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite horror movies is actually um, Cabin in the Woods, just because of how um, meta, meta it is. It is. Yeah. Uh, which that's obviously like I need to see stuff like Scream, you know, because that's like a logical extension of that kind of stuff. It um, is. Scream's and this great. Is, this is kind of where um, yeah, I wanted to see New Nightmare before I watched Scream because it came out first. Uh, maybe we'll eventually put Scream on the wheel. That'd be fun. It is but, one uh, great movie and a shit ton of bad ones. That's but interestingly, he job. directed all of them, so I assume there will be at least some things that I like about. There's qualities, sequels. but I think yeah. like Scream is an issue where it like really loves to repeat itself and like it's kind of monotonous. <laughs> sure. Yeah, what horror sequel has ever done that? Oh my right. goodness! Yeah, kind of. It's kind of you know the, the recipe <laughs> that we're used to. But that is interesting because it's like a movie that's like making fun of horror movies. So it's it's funny that it would end up doing like the you know the same exact thing. It's like right. the Deadpool game problem. You know what I mean? Right. Where yeah. It's like, exactly. You know, Haha! Isn't it dumb when video games do this and then the video game does that? You know? Right. You know? I don't know. I don't know if that's the best. I don't know if anybody remembers the Deadpool game. I don't know if that's the best example. It's I a could, good one. I think. <laughs> but like I yeah I think you know what I'm saying. Like just recently, the trailer we got for uh, the new. Uh... The new Outer Worlds game. Isn't it dumb when video games do this? Yeah, right. They did it, yeah. Same thing. They did. Well, I, I viewed that as a bit unique because they were in the same conference as, uh, you know, the people that used to employ them. Yeah, Bethes- Bethesda, like, that, that trailer means something different when it came out after the Starfield trailer in that conference. Right. You know what I mean? Anyway. <laughs> um... Yeah, that's so. neither here nor there. Uh, right. Yeah, I would say that like our ranking as it stands now is Nightmare on Elm Street, then Nightmare on Elm Street Three: Dream Warriors, then Nightmare on Elm Street Two: Freddy's Revenge, which I feel like you should put some empty spaces above that one. We'll see. We'll see. And yeah. uh, and then Freddy versus Jason, which um. We'll, we'll retain yeah. pretty close to the bottom. We're at the bottom the entire time. I, I think we'll just assume that it's going to stay at the bottom. We'll, we'll revisit it briefly when it comes time to talk about it in like you know right. the timeline of movies. But I ain't rewatching it. I know what I feel about it. It's a, yeah. It's yeah. it's a bad. Um, it's really bad. Fight scene at the end so, is fun though. Next week. Yeah. What the fuck is the name of the next one? I forget. It's a, as far as that's Nightmare Four to me. Nightmare on Elm Street Four: The Dream Master. That's nineteen eighty-eight. Okay. Um, oh, I've seen the poster for this one before. It's a cool poster. Yeah. So yeah, oh, we'll watch that. This is directed by Rennie Harland, who directed Die Hard Two, which we have also seen. Uh, In light, that's a good movie. Uh, yeah, it's, but not as much as Die Hard 1, so that's probably how this is going to go. <laughs> oh, you, you bet. Oh, man. This guy has a lot of Golden Raspberry nominations. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll get to that next week. All right. I'm going to cut this a little bit short because I have to go go. Me I have too. a day job. Well, a night job, I guess. That I have to oh, go I, to. Oh, so. I meant to the bathroom, but that's okay. You do what you gotta do, I'll do what I gotta do. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> Alright, man. It was fun. Hell yeah. See y'all next week. See y'all next time. Bitch. Well, goodbye. Wow. Bye. Bitch. <laughs> <laughs>